If you have performance reviews, what you really have is not equity. What you have is the illusion of equity. If you're determining who gets a 3% raise and who gets a 3.5% raise, that's based on partially subjective measures. If for no other reason that anytime you have more than one reviewer, you're going to be challenged to deliver equitably. That was Deb Calver, president at People First Productivity Solutions and founder of People First Leadership Academy. She works with clients to build organizational effectiveness by developing leaders, improving team cohesiveness, and strengthening soft skills. Previously, Deb was an HR director for a Fortune 500 company. She's been recognized as one of the 65 most influential women in business by Treeline. I'm your host, Marilyn Germain. We're going to talk about why the elimination of employees' performance reviews is a growing trend and some new ways we can assess employees' performance. Welcome to the show, Deb. Oh, thank you, Marilyn. I'm so honored to be with you today, and I just really appreciate what you're doing for the HR community. Performance reviews have been a hot topic in HR and actually in organizations for decades. And for some HR managers, they are absolutely ineffective. And for some employees, the majority of them, I'd say, they're plainly you know, useless or they fear those evaluations. And most of us just really dislike them. And in fact, many Fortune 500 companies such as Netflix have eliminated them. So does that mean that traditional performance reviews just don't work? And if so, why don't they work? Great question. I think that even if you consider them to be working, for all the effort and all the time spent and all the angst around them and the employee experience, I don't think they deliver what they promise to deliver. And I think that's because there are two pretty big problems with the typical performance review system. So let me see if I can tackle both of those. First is the process itself. It's flawed. <laughs> Even the thought of it suggests that reporting on and discussing performance should be a periodic and a, and a staged event. With that in mind, it inadvertently provides cover for managers who aren't comfortable giving lifetime feedback, uh, for managers who aren't good at supporting employees just in their day-to-day -day with frequent coaching. And on top of that, process-wise, it, it's linked to promotions and raises and creates competition with peers for those promotions and raises, which means that nobody wants to be open and honest, open to feedback, vulnerable during those performance review events. It's all about only putting your best foot forward and, and trying to minimize all the things that you really could benefit from hearing feedback about. So the process itself is flawed. And then on top of that, the second problem, which I think is really quite pervasive, is that managers aren't really taught how to prepare and deliver an effective performance review. So most of them, they go through the motions, they replicate what they've seen from the managers who gave them reviews who also weren't very trained in how to do it. And they include, because this is human nature, they include only the most recent or the most memorable events since the last performance review. And they allow unconscious bias to influence the review. And they compare employees to each other instead of comparing each individual to an objective standard of performance. And all of these problems, they multiply each other. And pretty soon, what you have is exactly what you described, 
lots of resentment and fear and loathing for everybody involved. Deb, you told me that you're firmly opposed to the standard nine-box talent review model used in many organizations. And for our listeners who may not be familiar with the nine-box talent review model, can you briefly explain what it is? Sure. So in some places, the nine box is used as part of the performance management system. In other places, it's used separately for talent review. Either way, what it is, it's it's an approach that was developed first by McKinsey back in 1970, over 50 years ago for GE. And the purpose of this thing called a nine box model is to offer a, a visual representation and a framework for talent review. So let me describe it. You'd have to imagine two dimensions, a box model with nine boxes, because this model, it's, it's mapping two variables for, for employees. The first variable is employee performance. So ideally, right, employee performance, that's meant to be objective. It's meant to be quantifiable measures. But sadly, not all organizations use data to assess performance. So they allow this to become a, a subjective assessment. And then the second variable is potential. And to me, that is the biggest problem. Assessing somebody else's potential is purely subjective. I mean, let's face it, we don't even, as individuals, we don't even fully understand our own potential. How can we have the, the hubris to think that we could truly evaluate other people's potential? But anyways, when you put those two variables together, performance and potential, then you evaluate each one of them. Are they high, medium, or low? And that gives you nine different categories, categories like high performance, high potential, also known as high po, high per. And you have nine boxes where you are then supposed to slot people in. And what that does, the way that it's used, it's used to determine things like how to allocate budget for employee development. You put high per, high po employees into leadership development programs, for example, so they might be prepared for next level roles. And then the nine box model, especially where it's tracked right with performance management systems, then it's also used to determine things like who's promotable, who's fast tracked. In some organizations, annual raises and bonuses are also informed by this whole process. And people in that glorious hypo hyper box. They get lots of attention from senior leaders. They get opportunities that aren't available to others. They're viewed favorably. There are extra efforts made to please and retain those employees. And at the opposite side, you've got low po, low per, low potential, low performance employees. And they're either ignored or, or micromanaged. In some cases, people categorized in that box are automatically placed on performance plans or terminated. At GE, that whole Jack Welch 2070-10 rule, under Jack Welch at GE, only 20% were allowed to be categorized in the top boxes, 70% were in the middle boxes, and 10% were in the bottom boxes. So lots of other companies, they, they sort of adopted some similar approaches for these forced rankings or stacked ranking systems, which have been found by courts to be subjective and arbitrary and allowing for discrimination. So Ford, Microsoft, Accenture, a lot of companies have dumped those kinds of, of ranking systems. Deb, your stance is that the nine box talent review is really polarizing and yet eliminating annual performance reviews doesn't mean we don't care about employee performance, quite the opposite, right? So how can employee performance 
be measured differently and perhaps better? I mean, you yeah. say you designed a simple alternative, right? Can you share what that is? You bet. So what we're after here is creating a good employee experience and at the same time, providing good information, not only to the employee for their own improvement, but sure, to the company so that they know where people stand. But we got to get away from this high-po, low-po, high-per, low-per. When people know about those conversations, when they know about being bucketed, then they're just po-po, right? They feel passed over and pissed off. And that's not where the organization wants to be. Employees who are a part of this, they feel either tapped or capped by this process. And so we have to move away from that. And my biggest concern, what we're trying to move away from primarily, is that this subjectivity that's inherent when you're assessing people's potential. The process is flawed. It's inviting unconscious bias and favoritism. The process itself, the way people feel judged and boxed in, that even extends into raising all sorts of questions about the psychosocial implications. What's actually driving behaviors? What's actually influencing the employee? If the process itself is doing that, that's a problem. So <laughs> the question for me, if you put all that together, the, the question for me is, how do you evaluate employee performance and devise a talent review process that doesn't rely on subjectivity? And one that is accepted by employees and reliable and yet welcome by management and, and HR professionals too. You bet. And getting employees participating that, that, that is where they really buy into it and they really see the value of it. All right. So the simple alternative is to replace the subjective evaluation of potential in that nine box model. So what I've done is I've worked with organizations to create a framework that objectively, it has to be truly be objective though, objectively looks at performance as before but also looks then at how the work is done. So now these are the two new variables being mapped. The what, objective KPIs based on preset job standards that are uniform and consistent performance. That's what the work is. But now the second variable is how you do the work. This still has to be objective, but it's the way you want work to be done. For example, in alignment with your values. So what we're mapping is, getting the right results, doing enough of the work, doing it the way that it has to be done to get those results that are necessary, but also doing it in the right way in accord with your professional standards or your values or the other things you have in place in your organization that, that are about what you stand for and, and how you go about conducting yourself. So do you have any tangible evidence of the effectiveness of your objective, innovative approach that replaces annual performance reviews? I'll tell you a story anecdotally, and every one of these has numbers behind it, but we don't want to put people to sleep here. So I'll tell you anecdotally, I worked for the past year and a half now with a large veterinary hospital, about 115 employees. And they were, when they brought me in, they were experiencing very low morale, high turnover, lots of negativity, a huge lack of clarity about even who does what job, some infighting, and extremely low engagement. So what we instituted was what I'm describing here. It all started with, we got to get job descriptions and expectations that are clear for everybody and very specific to each role. 
And when you have those competency-based job descriptions, so everybody knows what competencies are expected and which ones should be developed and how the job description reflects those, and then you begin using that for behavioral interviewing, also based on competencies, and you teach people how to recognize when somebody is and when they are not demonstrating the expectations within their role. How do you give peer feedback? How do you give in the moment feedback from a a lead or a supervisor? And then we worked on the how side. How should the work be done? So everyone in the organization participated in creating professional standards and company values. Those then became a part of the job descriptions. And everything that we did was backed up by behavioral examples. So it's not just you demonstrate trustworthiness. It's what does that look like at the minimum threshold, at the Mm -hmm. average, and at the exemplary level? What do these values look like in action? And we replaced then, once we had all of that in place, we replaced that performance evaluation with something they were already using, stay interviews, and a focus on ongoing employee development. So then people started getting pretty excited. They had a lot of bounce backs, people who had left before, but were now hearing good things. They have had, here are the the measurables, they've had significantly reduced churn. They're all getting and providing more regular and timely feedback. They have dramatically improved employee engagement and their productivity levels by all sorts of measures are dramatically improved as well. There are organizations that really eliminated those performance reviews, but perhaps that's a myth, right? They've replaced them with something else. I mean, without performance reviews, how can HR can ensure equity in pay increases and promotions? They ought to have some kind of system. Well, yes. Let me say that there is a system. It's just not every six months or three months or year. It's ongoing and it's all the time and and it's documented. So that's what's being measured. But I should say that If you have performance reviews, what you really have is not equity. What you have is the illusion of equity. If you're determining who gets a 3% raise and who gets a 3.5% raise, that's based on partially subjective measures. If for no other reason that anytime you have more than one reviewer, you're going to be challenged to deliver equitably. I mean, just think, some people, some managers, they say things like, well, I never give fives. I'm a hard grader. Mm -hmm. While others, they pass out these fives like candy (laughs) very, very generously. Mm -hmm. So you don't have an apples to apples comparison anytime you have more than one reviewer or more than one interpretation of standards and measures. So what you need with or without a nine box model or with or without any performance review approach, what you need at the onset are very clear, very consistent sets of expectations. And they have to be backed by these behavioral examples that define those minimum, medium, and exemplary levels of performance. Deb, what advice do you have for HR professionals who would like to eliminate annual performance reviews because they realize that's the way of the future, but they are really unsure about where to even start? I would encourage them to learn about stay interviews. With a stay plan, these are regular check-ins with employees where the employee has an opportunity to give feedback to their manager and others in the organization about what's working and what's not working for them. An employee has a responsibility for what they are going to do, setting their own goals, creating their own plans in a facilitated way to focus on their own development. 
what this does is it creates more frequent check-ins and it gets employees involved in setting their own stretch goals and in paying attention to their own performance because it's all framed up by behavioral examples and by what those opportunities are going to be that they're reaching for. So you're the president of People First Productivity Solutions and the founder of People First Leadership Academy. What do you do? I do a little bit of everything. In my company, we provide consulting, coaching, and training about people practices within an organization. So we come alongside oftentimes HR, sometimes uh, the senior team, to help them diagnose and fix the problems related to employee experiences. Those are generally triggered by issues with engagement or or retention. And we help them to create exactly the kinds of systems that, that we're talking about here. Thanks, Deb, for your insights on the end of, potentially the end, of annual performance evaluations the way we know them, and for providing us with some ways to replace them. Thank you, Marilyn, for the opportunity to join you today. I've, I've enjoyed our conversation very much. Support for this show comes from Western Carolina University, a campus of the University of North Carolina system, with the technical assistance of Kelly Minnis.